Do you remember uh, the miracle on the Hudson? Wild story. Um, plane had just taken off out of LaGuardia. It was heading down, well, it was intending to go to, I think, South Carolina. Uh, I think like less than three minutes into the air, uh, a flock of geese flies right into the front of the plane. Uh, most importantly, it flew into the, uh, the engines, and uh, almost instantly they lost power. So this plane is now in the air and minus engines. So the, uh, the pilot, you know, contacts the airport and says, uh, explains this, and then says... Uh, we're going to try and circle back and go to get back to LaGuardia. And about a half a minute later, he gets back. Uh, so the airport is like, yep, no problem. We'll, we'll make space for you. Then he uh, radios back and says, there's no way. We can't do it. It's too far. We're, we're losing altitude. So they say, well, Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, you might make that. So he says, okay. Well, about 20 seconds after that, he radios back and says, that's not happening either. We're just, we're not, we're not going to make it to either of these places. And then he says, um, I think we're going to land in the Hudson. And then there's this, it's amazing if you listen to the transcripts, uh, the back and forth, uh, there's sort of like this pause. Um, the guy in the, in the, in the uh, air traffic controller, like he says, excuse me, like he, it's like, I, I can't believe, I don't think I heard what you just said. And, and he goes, we're not, we can't make it to either of these airports. Um, anyway, uh, that, well, you know the story. That's what happened. He ended up, uh, all within a couple of minutes, he landed this plane on the water, and uh, these people were rescued. It was 19 degrees out. It was January. And uh, 155 people on board. Everybody made it. Uh, in fact, nobody, a couple, you know, couple of minor injuries, but nobody got seriously hurt. Um, but it all goes back. Everybody says it's all because of this captain, um, Sullenberger, Sully. Um, you probably saw some of you the movie uh, Sully of Tom Hanks. It just tells, it tells the story. Um, but he's just this remarkable picture of calm, like in this incredibly uh, tense, frightening moment and place. He's just calm. Um, you know, I watched, I looked, uh, I looked up the scene uh, yesterday when, when they have this, this bird strike, they call it, when, they, when the, plane, the birds hit the, hit the plane, and then just for the next, you know, couple of minutes, just watching uh, in the movie, Tom Hanks, just he's just looking, looking and pulling switches and trying to, like, imagine all possible scenarios, but he just, he keeps it so together. Anyway, if you listen to the, the actual back and forth it's exactly the same like the movie totally portrayed so accurately the way this guy was um he was just so calm you know he had a lot of experience uh he was a commercial pilot for 30 years before that he was an air force fighter pilot so yeah the guy spent a lot of time in a cockpit um but everybody just says his his command and his control and his calm in this moment is what just totally saved the lives of these people. Um, they're all dead if it wasn't for this Captain Sully. And, and if you remember, he became like this celebrity. He was on all the talk shows and receiving awards everywhere he went, deservedly so, right? Um, but people want to know, like, how'd you, do, how'd you keep it together? How are you so cool? How are you so calm in this 
horrifying moment, and he was so humble about it. He took none of the credit, really. Um, you know, neuroscientists, you know, brain experts, um, they know exactly what happens inside the brain when people have to, when they're forced to make decisions under wild pressure. Um, what most of us think, the non-experts, is, wow, those people are just fearless. Sully just, he wasn't afraid. Well, the experts say, no, that's completely not true. Sully was as scared as everybody else in that plane. Um, he just did something with the fear that many of us wouldn't, or I guess couldn't. Um, they say that there are cells in the brain that automatically generate fear. Like, you can't control fear. It would be to say, no, he just, in that moment, he wasn't afraid. They, uh, people would, everybody would laugh. Like, everybody was scared. But this guy was different. Maybe it was simply this, he didn't panic, right? He didn't panic. He was scared, but he chose something. This is kind of my point. He deliberately chose to remain calm. Easier said than done. But he did it. In fact, pilots, when they're trained, they, they have an expression for it. They call it deliberate calm. And it, it's, it's sort of this. It's like finding the balance between emotion and reason. I think when, we're, when we strike the a good balance between those two sort of opposites, we usually, we're on our game. Like we survive the moment. But when we're extreme with one and absent with the other, if we're all emotion, not good. If we're all reason and no emotion, not gonna be good. Like you kinda need both. And the other part of this deliberate calm thing was they said you have to learn to ignore certain fears. Don't deny the fear, but you ignore it when it's not useful in the moment. Sometimes fear is useful. Sometimes fear keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. Sometimes it makes, it makes things dangerous. He didn't panic, I think, this guy Sully, because he practiced staying calm. You know, schools, do sort of a version of this these days, mindfulness, mindfulness, where, you know, kids are just asked to kind of focus on the moment. They kind of encourage like an awareness of how you're feeling in the moment. as a way of like reducing stress. It's almost kind of like, I don't know, like a, almost like meditation to kind of help kids to behave appropriately when, you know, they're upset or they're they're disappointed or they're scared. It's like, I think it comes down to this. No matter how difficult, no matter how upsetting, no matter how, how frightening the problem you've got or the problems we've got, we have the ability to look past emotion, to kind of carefully think about how we need to think. What am I gonna do in this moment? It's objectively scary. It's objectively dangerous. 
Acting like I'm not scared when I'm scared is just stupid and false. So we're all scared. We're all the same that way. But you know what we're not the same? is how we deal with the scared. Because I think the best among us, we make choices. We say in this very scary moment, I'm not going to be consumed by certain emotions. Here's another thing we can do, I think, in the scariest of moments. We can take a look at this gospel. We can embrace this gospel because it helps. A violent squall came up and waves were breaking over the boat. They woke Jesus and he rebuked the wind. The wind ceased and there was great calm. Then he asked the apostles, why are you terrified? Don't you have faith? When Jesus acts, there's calm. I think it comes down to this. When I know that God is near, if I really believe that he's in the boat with me when the boat seems to be sinking, and I am afraid, and I don't want it to sink, but then I remember, yeah, but I'm not alone. I'm not the only person in this boat. I'm not the only one on this plane that's going down. God is with me. Then I think we respond in a different way. We're never alone. We're never alone. God is always with us. That's why he's looking at them in this gospel like, what are you all freaking out about? Why are you all screaming? Why are you all waking me up? I'm here. I never left you. You're going to be okay. Because I'm here. Don't you believe that? Hey, the question he asks of them in this gospel, he asks of us tonight. Don't we know he's with us? God is always with us. Well, sometimes we don't. I mean, sometimes we do become screaming, hysterical apostles. That balance between reason and emotion, it gets completely out of whack and it becomes hysteria. That was not the pilot of that, the captain of that plane. And he saved people's lives because, because of it. You know, there was this woman, uh, I was reading this article, this priest was talking about a conference that he was at a couple of years ago and there were different speakers and this particular woman got up. She was talking about religious experiences, or I guess that was the topic. So she tells her story. It was kind of a crazy story. She, uh, she talks about being happily married. She's middle-aged. The kids were grown pretty much on their own. They've got this business, husband and wife, and it's actually very successful. They're doing really well. And then it all comes apart, like almost close to overnight. Her husband was a recovering alcoholic, hadn't drank in years, and uh, he fell off the wagon, and he remained off the wagon. So within two years, um, they lost everything, including each other, ultimately. The business went bankrupt, they lost their house, the marriage fell apart. She decides to move um, away kind of more just to, to kind of start over. She goes to a new city, she gets a new job, but she's overwhelmed with grief. Like the life she had, the life she 
thought she was going to have forever is gone. She's grieving this terrible loss. So she's having a very, very understandably tough time. And then it gets worse. She's coming home from work one night. She's at a red light, and a car plows into the back of her. Totals her car. It was a drunk driver. She gets really banged up, has to go to the hospital. Nothing life-threatening, but she, you know, terrible whiplash, bruises and cuts. She's leaving the hospital, I, I think, later. Yeah, it was later that night. And a police officer drives her home. She doesn't even have anybody... You know, she doesn't have any friends or family yet in this new place where she's living. The policeman drives her home, and as they're going down this, her house, they approach her house, she sees that the front door is open, like wide open. The house has been robbed <laughs> and vandalized. So she loses it. She gets out of the car, and she starts to scream. She starts to kind of just flail, running, running on the lawn. Just the frustration and the hurt and the anger and the loneliness and the loss, it's just finally just exploded. And she, she said she just started to scream hysterically, cursing, just cursing, uh, cursing at God, like, what, what have I done? What did I do to get what I've gotten here? How did, I mean, I don't deserve this. Anyway, this is what, uh, well, the priest who heard her speak this is his description of the rest of her talk. She told us that she remembered exactly what was running through her mind as she ran across the lawn, that lawn at midnight. Hysterical, cursing, this policeman giving chase. Her anger and her questions were all about God. Where is God in all of this? Why is God letting this happen? Why is God asleep? Then she said, suddenly, in one instant, in one moment, everything became calm. She stopped running and she stopped cursing because she felt inside of herself a flood of calm and a peace that she had never experienced before. She said there were no, mag no magic lights went on, no divine voices were heard. She made no claims of, miracle af of a miracle afterwards. But for one second, in one second, she realized that no matter the storm, no matter the loss, and no matter even death itself, God is still in charge. God is always in charge. One second of realization was all it took, and calm returned. She sent the policeman home, and she began cleaning up her house. God is still in charge. Even during the storms, actually, especially during the storms, God is there. It may seem like he's not. It may seem like he's sleeping in the, in the boat, oblivious to our fear, but he's not, and he is there. You know, think about people, I'll ask you to do this now for a minute. Think about people you know, people you love, people you care about, who, for whatever the reason, have checked out in terms of God. They used to go to church, now they never go to church. They're not even getting their kids baptized. 
or they're your grandkids and they haven't been baptized, and even the mention of it starts a, an argument in the kitchen. Somebody's getting married and he's, the, the groom has asked his best friend to officiate at the wedding. It's like, what, what is that? Like, what, why is the best man performing the ceremony? Why is the best friend officiating at this very solemn moment? Like, where did that come from? Well, I think it's come from 20 or 30 or 40 years of a, of a secular culture. That's what a secular culture looks like. That's what a largely godless culture ends up looking like. Your kids or their kids or your friends or your neighbors who used to be here, who used to believe this, who used to pray, they bought, they bought it. And on some level, they just, they don't buy, they don't believe anymore. And you're scared. You worry about them. Because you're thinking this, what's gonna happen when there's a bird strike? What's gonna happen when a flock of geese explodes in their life and they're scared to death what are they going to do where are they going to go to whom are they going to turn when the plane is going down or when the boat's taking on water you're scared for them because you're thinking they're not going to know what to do this 16-year-old kid who hasn't been in a church, maybe ever, is not going to know where to go when something happens in his life, something big and scary. And he won't know to get on his knees and pray. He won't even consider the prospect of walking into a church and making a visit. Because people stop talking about that in that kid's life and you're worried about that kid because you know it's only a matter of time there's gonna be a bird strike I mean it happens to all of us I hope not a lot but it happens to all of us what are we gonna do what are they gonna do when the geese crash into the, the cockpit and there's utter panic in their lives deliberate calm yeah, I'm, yeah, that's good. Mindfulness, yes. Knowing that he's in the boat, absolutely yes. Essentially yes. Knowledge that God is here. He's not asleep. He's here and he's close. Absolutely yes. You know, uh, Captain Sully, I was watching in a, an interview or a, yeah, it was like an interview he was giving. He was just, wasn't really being asked questions. He was just speaking about that whole amazing experience he had. And he said at one point, in the midst of this horror, he said he knew he had to get on the, uh, you know, the, the PA on the plane. He knew he needed to say something to the people and to the crew because they knew this plane was going down. But nobody had said anything. Nobody had explained anything. So he said in this interview, he said he knew he needed to very carefully choose his words. 
and he had very little time to come up with the right words. And then he said this, he said, he knew he needed to communicate courage because courage is contagious. That's right. It is contagious. And so is faith. So go spread both. <laughs>